Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, let's go to the Word this morning. We're in a series entitled Entrusted, and today we're going to look at the Lord's Steward, Ready, Faithful, and Wise. Let me begin with a question that sets our frame of thinking for the morning. Is there any area of your life where you are knowingly not living in accord with what you know to be true? Is there any area of your life where you knowingly are not living in accord with what you know to be true. You know something, but for whatever reason, you're not living in light of that. Many of you will remember in 2011, when the F5 tornado blew through Joplin, Missouri, and left such a wake of destruction, unseen by many of us before or even since. It was a tornado of the worst nightmare with unbelievable force. The stories that came out with the days and weeks that followed were just simply unbelievable in what we were hearing. And the one that remains with me to be just the most mind-blowing was that the hospital, Mercy Hospital, was picked up by the tornado and moved six inches off of its foundation. The whole thing. Hence, the hospital on the interstate today had to be completely rebuilt and relocated in that. It was just simply unreal. A pastor friend was leading a service there the night that the tornado hit. And um, they were in the church building, which incidentally ended up being just about two blocks north of the swath where it came across Main Street in Joplin. And a few years later, he struggled immensely and probably that changed in some ways the trajectory of his life after the trauma that ensued. But a couple of years later, we were talking about it and he reflected in sharing this with me. He said, we all knew what to do. We just didn't believe it would be that bad. He said, but now, every time a siren sounds in Joplin, the whole city runs for cover. And rightfully so, rightfully so. You know, we don't always live according to what we know, do we? Just sometimes, for whatever reason, we don't always live according to what we know. Well, why is this? Well, I think there are many reasons, but sometimes we, we live by what we feel or by what we've been led to think at a given moment, right? And so that, that influences us for that time, even to do something that maybe we know, uh, you know, like getting on a roller coaster. We know that's not wise, and yet we do it anyway. That's what I tell my kids. We entertain our options. We tolerate temptations. We navigate concessions. Well, it's not gonna be that bad. We consider outcomes. All of these things cause us to question what it is that we know for what it might be that we're missing. I guess this is a moment where I need to thank the millennials for giving us a hashtag and being able to bring some definition to that, right? For FOMO. Often, our knowledge does not change, but somewhere along the line, our standard gets compromised 
so that we live differently for some reason. Not always bad. Some of us more neutral and indifferent, but nonetheless different from what we know. Well, today's passage exhorts us to live in accordance with what we know to be true for a reward that is simply beyond this world. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. We're going to go all the way through verse 48, but I'll read the verses as we come to them in the message. Luke 12, 35 records, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. In a series of teachings in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus comes to a point now where he teaches on living as a follower of God. And he's addressing his disciples with a parable that teaches them on living in the Lord's blessing. Every Christian wants the blessing of God on their life, do we not? How is it that we live in that blessing? And Jesus here begins to instruct us that it is the life of a steward that walks in the blessing of God. He begins with a clear exhortation, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. He likens it to a servant who is awaiting the return of a master that is away at a wedding. And upon his return, he finds that the servants are ready for him, it says. And the master blesses them so greatly that he dresses up himself as a servant, has them sit at the table in a place of honor, and he serves them. We see that this is no ordinary master but it is one who is willing and ready to serve his servants who are found ready. And then to emphasize the point, Jesus states the opposite. He says this, that the master would have never left the house if he had any knowledge that a thief was coming. So he is blessing those who maintained his affairs in his absence. And Jesus said, and if he ever knew that a thief were coming, he wouldn't have left in the first place. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples that they are to live ready because while they know the Son of Man is coming, they do not know when, and it will be at an hour that they do not expect. Friends, today I want us to see that Christ followers live as stewards of the Lord Jesus in all of life in order to walk in his Blessing. Jesus is setting forth this principle for us of blessing and how it is we live for him, our master, 
to bless us in our life. He teaches the disciples not only the why, but the how to live as faithful servants of God's blessing on their life. First of all, the why and the motivation for why to live as a faithful servant, he gives it in a repeated blessing that he offers three different times. Verse 37, and then again in verse 38, he says, blessed are those servants. It's almost in the form of a repeated beatitude that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, a beatitude is, is not just a, an activity that brings blessing, but rather it is taught in such a way so that when we practice these things by faith, we know that we're walking in the blessing of God. And of course, in verse 38, he reiterates, blessed are those servants. And again, in verse 43, in a moment, we will see, blessed is that servant. When things get repeated three times in the text, you need to pay attention to them because a point is getting made, a point of emphasis and importance for what is being taught. Why should we live as faithful servants? Because of the blessing of God is great, greater than we could have imagined. But how? How is it that a servant lives to receive the master's blessing? Well, that's captured in one word, the word steward. We are stewards. You see, a steward is the one who has been entrusted by the master to care for his business in the way that the master has instructed. And because Christians have been entrusted, we are stewards. This determines the way that we live our whole life. What have we been entrusted with as we looked last week with the gospel? We've been entrusted with the glorious good news of God in Jesus Christ that is the power of life over death. That is the power of life over sin. It's the power of life over all things. We are stewards of this life that God has given to us. And so entrusted means that Christians live distinctively as stewards of what God has given to us, the gospel, the very means by which it is that we walk in the whole counsel of God's word. And so the question naturally comes, how is it then that we live as stewards of King Jesus, that we might walk in his great blessing because he is a king, he is a master like none other. I want to offer to you this morning three postures of life for the steward that brings the Lord's blessing from this passage. And we've already looked at the first passage in verses 35 through 40 that provide for us the first posture of the life of a steward. And it is simply this, live ready. You live ready. Your life should be postured in such a way at all times to live ready. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. In the first century, the typical dress was a long robe of covering that was the outer garment that they wore. In addition to that, people would wear a cloak, which was a second long uh, robe that would basically was more like a coat. A cloak was so important in the first century that it was actually uh, a foundation of economic trade and commerce. If you had to borrow money or you had to borrow a tool for someone, you would take your cloak off and give it as collateral until you returned the tool or until you repaid your debt. Why was that? Because if you didn't have a cloak, you didn't have anything to cover up with at night. I mean, just imagine sleeping without your weighted blanket. Now I know who you are. Thank you. 
And so we see that he's saying, look, there are many advantages to this, but there were some disadvantages too, principally, principally of the long robe, how it was that it encumbered movement when you were uh, engaging in a lot of physical activity or trying to work and stay busy at things you needed to be busy at. And so he tells us to prepare for work and other activity. The the robe would be gathered up at the waist and bound for the moment while the activity was being engaged in. This is what Jesus meant when he said, stay dressed for action. Keep your work clothes on. Be ready to do the Lord's work. And in addition to that, he said, keep your lamps burning You see, the lamps burning is a parable that is used a number of times in the gospel messages that basically just tells them don't run out of oil in the middle of the night. Make sure that you are prepared in what you have purchased so that the lamps, if you are to need them in the middle of the night, will burn all night long. It's simply a lesson of preparedness. He's simply saying, not only in the way that you posture your life, but friends, the way you plan your life. Understand what's coming and be prepared for it. Think about it. Make preparations in accordance to what you're going to be facing. With both of these images, Jesus is commanding his disciples to live ready for the master's return because his blessing, his blessing will be greater greater than they could have imagined or conceived. No servant actually thinks the master is going to don servant's attire and serve the servants who are seated and reclining at the table. And yet, that's what Jesus tells his disciples. Later on, the apostles will pick up this very lesson and talk in their own writings and teachings in the epistles that they too are teaching others to live ready When Paul teaches on the armor of God, maybe the greatest passage of scripture that teaches Christians how the sufficiency of the word of God and all of God's provision actually covers our whole life. When Paul teaches on the armor of God in verse 14 of chapter six, he says, stand having fastened on the belt of truth. And so the truth of God is the belt. What purpose did the belt of truth serve? But the belt of truth is the one aspect of the armor that held all of the armor together as one piece. Everything else could be donned, but until the belt of truth was put on, it was all kind of loose and shaky. The belt of truth kind of bound it all up together to finalize preparations for what was about to be taking place. And so he teaches That we are to fasten our whole life by the truth of God to live ready for the Lord at all times. You see, living ready positions our life to walk by faith in what we know to be true, God's truth. God's truth. There's a lot of things in the world today we're not sure if they're true or not, right? It's called your news feed. Just to put it simply, AI is going to make sure that we don't know whether it's real or not. And all of this world, with the information that is coming out, makes you wonder what is true. Where do you know to go to know every time you can find nothing but the truth? God's word, God's word. Peter calls for the same action in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, when he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Preparing is what we're appealing to here. A first, 
of first importance for preparedness is that we consume our mind with the truth of God's word, that we know what the word says. Both in what we think about, the contents of our thought, Paul picks this idea up as well in Philippians 4a, when he says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. Don't let the gray matter real estate of your mind be consumed with uselessness, with perversion, with the things that may or may not be true, but you don't know. Don't let your life be consumed with things that aren't worth thinking on. Fill your mind with the things of God. So he tells us in what we think about, the content of our thoughts should be consumed with the truth of God's word. But he also teaches that the way of our thinking or the pattern of our thinking should be consumed with the truth of God's word. Paul teaches this in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 when he says, seek the things that are above. He says, set your heart. It's how some translations translate it. Set your heart on things above. And then he says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. What's he telling us? He's saying that your mind and your heart should be aligned. Don't let them waver and don't let them distract one another and stray from one another, but keep them focused on the things that are of God, not only in what you think about, but engaging the heart in the way you think about it. This is good for us to be reminded that, that we shouldn't be driven by our emotions alone. But they should inform what we are thinking and the way that we are thinking about it. Living ready not only positions our life to walk by God's truth, but it patterns our life because we live in accordance with what we know to be true. Finally, the way we do this to keep God's truth as the priority of our life Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a verse that is not unfamiliar to anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Man, he's talked about just before this worries of life. He's talked about wondering where our clothing and our food's going to come from and how it is that we ought to take care of the details, the material, tangible details of life. And he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God. You mean over all of these things? Absolutely over all of these things. You take care of prioritizing God's kingdom and his righteousness in your life. And he says all these things will be added to you. you see, friends, he teaches these things because we know that God's truth is the highest glory for life. We understand that prioritizing God's truth, that it is of the greatest value for our good. And so we keep it as a first priority in all. When we live ready, it not only positions and patterns our life, but it does so by prioritizing the truth of God's word to keep our whole life in the hold or the blessing of God. Stewards live ready for the master at all times. That's what a faithful steward does. We do not know the hour of the Lord's return. They didn't know it in the parable. We don't know it in real life. But here's the good part of that. We don't have to know because it doesn't change anything by not knowing. If we needed to know, Jesus would tell us. 
we don't need to know. And I'll say this, and some of you will agree and some of you will wrongly disagree. If you knew, you'd jack it up. It looks like you know if you're going on a trip when you're leaving on that trip. Some of you, if you're flying out at 4 a.m., at 12.30, just after midnight, you go, man, I got to pack. And I got to run to Walmart for a few things. You think they'll still be doing the, you know, call ahead and they'll bring it out to you at that hour? You know, that's how some of you prepare. And then others of you, you packed three weeks ago. Where did I put that suitcase? That may be why. I'm not saying that's why we don't know the hour, but it could be. Here's what Jesus says. When is not important. Because when you live ready, it doesn't matter when he comes again. So often wanting to know when is just a matter of us negotiating and trying to manage and control some things for ourselves. Here's what matters. That he will return and how we are found at his return. That matters, friends. Stewards live ready because we know the master will return and we know his blessing will be unimaginably worth it when he gets here. Living ready means that the priority of your life reveals that your hope is set on Jesus, awaiting the king's return by living for God's kingdom now. And so I ask us this morning, are you living ready for Jesus in all things? All areas of your life, all aspects of your life, are you living ready for Jesus? Let's go to verse 41. So Peter speaks up. Imagine that. He asked a question this time. That's improvement over just making a bold statement. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So Peter's question is far more important probably than Peter even understood. Jesus responds with a question. And then he tells an additional parable. He asked this question, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Insightful question, isn't it? Makes me think about um, the strategy Jesus is taking here makes me think about a time in elementary school when I learned a very important lesson we had a substitute teacher, and I'll be honest with you, I always loved when we had a substitute teacher. Now, the substitute probably didn't agree, but this substitute teacher walked into the class, and she was wiser than this third or fourth grade group. She said to us, today, boys and girls, you get to make your own rules. You are going to set all the rules for the way this class operates. I don't think this works as well the second time 
Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? And she took the chalk and went to the chalkboard. Some of you can Google that later and find out what those are. (laughs) And she began to write everything that, I mean, every hand in the room went up. Everybody had a rule that they knew the rest of the class needed to follow. Mm -hmm. We're familiar with that, right? She filled that blackboard with rules. And about the time we were coming to the end of that first 10 minutes or so of the class, it began to hit me. Oh no, we've shown all of our cards. We got nothing left. Every rule, we don't need to talk while the teacher's talking. That would be rude. We need to do what the teacher asked us to do. We need to not worry about the things that we're interested in or whatever the rules were. I just began to look up there and go, we just captured everything that I don't want to do in this next hour. And we've already signed in chalk that we'll do it. When Jesus asked this question, I don't think it's a really hard question for any of us. It's an insightful one to ask though. Let me ask you this question. Who would you say is the faithful and wise manager that should be promoted over the entire household? The answer is rather obvious, isn't it? Well, I mean, shouldn't it be the one that knows what's going on and knows how to do it and takes care of business? You see, Jesus says that the one who will be blessed with all the master's possessions is the one who will be found taking care of what the master has already given to him. In these verses, Jesus goes on to provide the opposite, just as he did in the first verses. He provides the opposite of the answer as well, to say, but consider a servant who doesn't do this, who doesn't take care of the master's business, because the servant in waiting on the master begins to grow weary in the master's delay begins to take matters into his own hands and begins to do things the way that he thinks they ought to be done and he'll show the master, he'll improve upon the master's ways and he'll, he'll make them even better. He not only does that, but then he begins to use the master's resources to serve himself and to great excess, even to, it tells us, addiction. When the master returns, it catches the servant by surprise. Because all of a sudden, he was found that he was no longer ready. You see, the servant has substituted faithful and wise with selfish and indulgent. And instead of blessing, he encounters the master's wrath. And a great wrath that it was, for sure. Here we come to the second posture of life for the steward that brings the Lord's blessing. We not only live ready, friends, we live faithful. We live faithful to the master. You see, faithful means that the one who takes care of what they've already been given to please the master is what they are about doing. Jesus pronounces his blessing on this servant and it's for all the disciples, but it's for all God's servants. But it's also a promise for any who would trust and believe in God because he is a master who blesses in a way like none other. And so Jesus provides an illustration of how it is that one strays from faithfulness to unfaithfulness. And there's one factor that determines unfaithfulness. One factor. 
Surely we can overcome one weakness. We can overcome one simple issue so that we remain faithful. But the one factor that determines unfaithfulness for the servant is this. He loses focus on the master and he begins to center everything on himself. You see, it's selfishness that leads the servant on a very destructive path. Friends, self is always the center of our wants, wishes, and priorities of a servant who lives in unfaithfulness. Contrary to much much fodder among Christians today, faithfulness is fundamental to following Jesus. You go, well, why do you say that? Because so many times I don't hear it directly said, but it is inferred, insinuated, and nuanced. That's our word that we like to use. Nuanced in such a way that it's not that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal. Jesus says it's that big of a deal. You see, friends, faithfulness is not determined simply by being around when Jesus gets talked about. Faithfulness isn't about just, well, I was there when they talked about the gospel. And man, it was was a great time to be had by all. Faithfulness is is not just determined simply by talking a lot about Jesus or talking a lot about the gospel. Faithfulness is not determined simply by even talking about Jesus in the right ways. We can do all of these things and we can know all of the right answers and we can even know when to apply the right answers even though so often we don't live according to the knowledge that we already have. You see, friends, faithfulness means holding to Jesus regarding the things he taught, regarding his commands, and regarding his promises, regardless of what else is going on. What I fear, though, so often happens is faithfulness gets reduced and misconstrued to think that in some way it actually infers what it is we do for Jesus. In other words, faithfulness, we simply would reduce it to taking care of ourselves, so we don't have to bother God with it. But friends, that's never a form of faithfulness. God's not impressed with us. God's not in any way interested in what we can do without having to bother him by it. God says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. God's not putting your life in the balance of whether or not you're going to pull it off or not. He's telling you, don't even worry about it. Walk with me. I know I've got it. And so do you. So do you know that I've got it. Faithfulness centers on our trusting fully in what God has done for us to obey him. Faithfulness centers on our trusting fully what he's done for us in Christ so that we walk in obedience to him. It means that we live in full dependence on God by trusting Jesus to obey his word. Faithfulness means that the servant knows the master's will and manages all things according to the master's way. And the reason that the master entrusts more to the servant because they were faithful with what they'd already been given. Now, if you're gonna be faithful with what you've already been given, there's two aspects you need to be clear on. Number one, you must understand what it is that you've been given. And you must understand what it is that the master wants you to do with it. 
And so I ask you, do you understand what God has given to you? Would you acknowledge that God's given you some life? Maybe a little bit? Maybe a good amount? Maybe a lot? Or would you say, God is your life? Let me put that question another way. How much of the gospel is dependent upon you? And how much of it is dependent upon Christ? As one preacher said, the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin that makes us in need of it. Everything else is of God. Christian, your whole life is his. That's what we must understand. Let me ask you this. Do you know how he wants you to steward it for his glory? You see, faithfulness demands that we understand all God has given us and that we live in accordance to his way. The glory of faithfulness for the followers of Jesus Christ, friends, is simply this. We know God is faithful. That is motivation sufficient for whatever we are confronted by. He's faithful in all he's done for us. He's faithful in all that he's given to us and all that he's commanded of us. There's nothing in which our God has ever failed to be faithful. He is faithful and true. And when we live faithful, we are following after the likeness of our God by his power, not our own. When we live faithful, we're trusting our Savior to become like our Lord. For the faithfulness of God motivates and empowers our faithfulness to God. Friends, living faithfully means the practices of your life demonstrate that obeying and serving God is more important than serving self now. And so that leads me to ask, are you living faithful unto Jesus? Recognizing what it is that he's given to you and what it is that he wants to do with what he has given to you. I've often said about our church, and it's true of every individual Christian's life as well, when we ponder, consider, and remember all that the Lord has done for us and all that the Lord has done through us, how and why would we ever doubt his leading why would we? There's, there's no even hint of coincidental evidence that he would be anything other than faithful and true. Verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, not, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Finally, we see here, Jesus states that the responsibility of the servant is in accordance with the knowledge of the servant. And this shows us our third posture of life for the steward who wants to bring the Lord's blessing and walk and live in the Lord's blessing upon their life. Live ready, live faithful, live wise. Live wise. 
few would argue that wisdom and knowledge are the same thing. We know that they're not, and we know the distinction of them, but sometimes it can be hard to determine. And very often, we treat them as the same. But friends, wisdom is not what you know. Rather, it's simply in a very simplistic, reduced definition, but sufficient for our purposes at this moment. It's rather how it is that you use and apply what you know to live, to honor the Lord. Wise means living in according to the knowledge of the Lord and his word because of who you know him to be. Jesus, the eternal wisdom and power of God. You see, the steward who lives wise is always blessed because he trusts in the master's way. Friends, the Bible is full of promise for the one who lives by the Lord's wisdom. Beginning in one of the oldest verses in all the Bible, Psalm, the 90th chapter and verse 12, reminds us that when Jesus is our refuge, when Jesus is the one that we run to because we're not sure what to do, when Jesus is the one we run to because uncertainty surrounds us and we need security in this life, when Jesus is the one we run to because we aren't sure how to prevail, we're not sure if we can prevail, we know he is sovereign and so we run into him every generation psalm 90 begins has known the lord as a faithful refuge and when we run into him he puts wisdom in our hearts in other words he says you've done the right thing proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 incidentally representing an entire book and an entire genre of the scripture known as the wisdom literature hint hint Proverbs 2, 6 tells us God gives wisdom, which is knowledge that comes with understanding. That's what wisdom is there. That we might walk in his ways with our whole life. Not that we might subvert his ways. Not that we might figure out a better way or another way or in some way not have to go that way. But he gives knowledge that comes with understanding. The interesting thing is the knowledge comes first. Sometimes the understanding comes later. And for any who don't have wisdom, here's the good thing. Pastor, I, I just, I'm not a wise person. I don't have wisdom or I'm facing a situation where I need it and don't have it. It tells us that Jesus invites us to ask and he promises to supply it. James chapter one, verse five. It's just free. It's just free. And yet how many people are lined up outside the doors the night before camping out so they can be the first to get it? You don't have to. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't have the doors locked and he's not waiting to hand it out. He gives it out simply for the asking and the request. That's who he is. That's how he works. When we fail to live in obedience to God's word by faith, friends, it's never because God failed to supply or to source wisdom, but it's always because we choose to walk in opposition to the knowledge of God, both in what we know and even what we may not know. But we're walking in darkness and the folly of the world's ways. When we walk by faith, God gives us all we need, both in knowledge and in understanding, to walk in the light of his wisdom for our life. So live wise means that we pattern our life now to be focused on the eternal reward of the king, by ordering our life according to his promise, to his wisdom, and to his power. And so the question comes, are you living wise in your knowledge and your understanding of Jesus? 
You know, sometimes the only reason you have for what you do as a Christian is simply this, because God said so. And that statement is the greatest culmination of knowledge and wisdom as one, because God said so. Now, if you're a parent, especially if your children are younger, I'm warning you, get used to this phrase. Because God said so and because I said so. They are both absolutely legitimate reasons for you to answer your kid. And if they ask a second time, you tell them the same thing as the first time. Rule number one in the house is because I said so. And rule number two is refer to rule number one. And rule number three is if you keep asking, you're not going to like the answer. Because rule number one still stands. Any questions? You know, as a Christian, sometimes all you have is because God said so. And if you will trust him, you'll find that's all you need. That's all you need. When you don't understand, but God said so. When you don't like it, but God said so. When you don't agree with it, you wonder if it could possibly be true, but God said, God said. That's always enough. Friends, is there any area of your life where you are not living according to what you know is true? God is appealing to you today as a faithful steward to align your faith with what you know to be true because because the master will return. He will return. And if Jesus did return today, is there anything he would find about your life not aligned with his will? Christ followers live as stewards of the Lord Jesus in all of life to walk in his blessing. I'll ask the worship team to return. And while they're coming, let me simply say this. Entrusted, this whole campaign, friends, is an appeal, it's a call for us as Christians, but for us as a church to live for the master, for King Jesus, and to align our whole life, our whole church under his lordship in every way. To heed his word as we hear him speak and to walk by faith. And so I conclude in this way, what do you need to do today to live as a faithful steward of the Lord? Do you know all the Lord has given you? And do you know how it is that he would have you live ready, faithful, and wise in those areas? Or, friends, or have you found yourself growing weary? Growing weary because it seems like he's taking too long to come home. It feels like he's just extended it beyond what is reasonable. Why would he stay gone this long? No, friends, those aren't things that are based in our thinking off the word of God, the revelation of God. Those are all things that the enemy is tempting you with, begging you to negotiate terms with God, begging you to concede in little areas that really won't matter if nobody will know. God won't care. But God has said, That's sufficient. And God calls us to trust his word because in trusting his word, we trust him. If you're a Christian here today 
the Spirit of God is already speaking to your heart about where you need to apply this and what it is, what area of your life you need to give focus on to return it to the risen Lord Jesus. Friends, if you're not a Christian here today, let me tell you something. I want to tell you about our Master who's coming again. I don't know when, but I know He will. And when He gets here, it will be so ridiculously better than you could have imagined. It will have been worth whatever the weight demanded from you. If you want to live with the Lord like Jesus, all you got to do is ask Him today. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. And He will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Won't you put your trust in Him today?